Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week... I'm talking to Tina Ormonro about her debut crime novel, Breakneck Point. Tina used to be a scene of crime officer for the police, but now works as a journalist reporting on policing and security. In this episode, we discuss the joy of writing villains, how Tina used her emotional experiences from her own career, and rewriting half her novel after finding an agent. But first, here's Tina with an excerpt from breakneck point. The court grows restless and awkward at my muteness. Miss Diamond, I'm going to need an answer from you. I check my notebook as if trying to refresh my memory, but I'm looking for answers I know aren't there. Miss Diamond, is there a problem? No, no problem, I respond, frantically trying to come up with a game plan. Detective Inspector Stride is staring impassively at me. Then I repeat, was this fingerprint taken from the crime scene? The dryness in my throat has spread to my lips. I flick through my notebook again, but the lines are blurred and my head is spinning. Miss Diamond, please answer the question. I take a deep breath to compose myself. There is no way out of this. I shoot stride a defeated look. His face is unreadable. This fingerprint didn't come from the murder scene. A collective gasp. The kind trapeze artists are used to. The kind my court performances have never drawn before. Is released into the atmosphere. What are you saying exactly, Miss Diamond? Gripping my notebook, I utter words I never thought I'd ever hear myself say in a voice I don't recognise as my own. I'm saying this fingerprint was planted among the finger impressions that I took from the crime scene and was sent to the Bureau without my knowledge. There's a silence that I want to last forever, but it's quickly filled with a sound, almost metallic, like a ship's girders bending and yielding to the sea just before it capsizes. It's the sound of a mother who knows her daughter's killer will walk free. It's joined by other sounds and I can't tell where the sobs end and the shouts begin. Then cheers, loud cheers and angry exchanges. In amongst the chaos, Stride is staring at me. His shaking head will come to represent many things. 
his conviction for perverting the course of justice, mass sackings, and my own removal from major investigations after those left refused to work with me. But mostly it speaks of his sadness that I've allowed a murderer to walk free. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me to talk about your debut novel, Breakneck Point. Hi, Chloe. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be here. So can you start by telling us the plot outline of your novel, please? Uh, yes, so Breakneck Point is about a crime scene investigator or CSI called Ali Diamond, and it is set in North Devon. It opens with Ali Diamond blowing the lid on police corruption in, in a very dramatic way. She's in a, a murder trial. And as a result of that, her colleagues um, refuse to work with her. So she finds herself dispatched back to North Devon and working on those very, very minor crimes. Uh, and then a very major crime happens when the body of a young girl is found at a quayside and she's thrust straight back into major crime scene investigation. And what she doesn't know though, is that the murderer is very close at hand and is watching her every move. And that's Ali Diamond. Mm, and it's the start of a brand new crime series as well. So I want to hear a little bit about how the novel started life, because I read in your acknowledgements that the novel started very differently. So I'm interested to know kind of what your inspiration was and how that developed then into this, this new novel. Um, it did start very differently, actually. And um, this would have been about four or five years ago. And I had some kind of interest from agents. So I would have a couple of people asking for the full manuscript and then it, it just would go no further. So I kind of thought I had something, but there was obviously something seriously missing. And so I applied to a course, actually, and I got onto the course. And that really what was what showed me what was missing, uh, as it turned out quite a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, I went into a course with a, a book that was 90,000 words long. And I emerged from this course with CSI, Ali Diamond and North Devon. And that was it. And I wrote another book. Oh, and wow. That book came so it totally changed. It's totally changed. So much so that I've got bits in that first book that I'm now on book two and thinking about book three that I might revisit and kind of, you know, do that kind of writer magpie thing where I think, mm-hmm. oh, I can use that in some other format. But other than that, it is completely different. So was it Ali that came to you first then? Was that the kind of the starting point for your inspiration? And I mean, I read that you you had never... I mean, you've got a background in CSI yourself and you um, have also worked as a police and crime journalist. But I read that you initially hadn't even thought about writing crime fiction. Is that right? Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely true. Actually, I'd written a YA novel and I and I thought that that was my natural place to be. I really enjoyed writing and reading YA. Uh, um, but then YA novels went nowhere and I've got about four or five still in my bottom drawer. And um, and I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll just not write at all because I'm just getting absolutely nowhere with YA. And I was talking to a friend of mine and, and he just kind of said, um, you know, you, you were a CSI and, you know, you write about crime. He said, how come you've never written about uh, written a crime novel? And, and really close, it's kind of like a, <laughs> a light bulb moment where <laughs> I just saw, <laughs> actually, why have I never written a crime novel? Um, and I think the reason probably is, is because it was my day job. You know, mm. it's what I do. Day, and, and maybe because it was my day job, I kind of wanted to do something very different as my non-day job. But I just thought, actually, yeah, maybe I should write about um, crime. And then because I had been a CSI, and at that time, I don't think there were any 
thrillers or crime novels that had a, a main protagonist as a CSI. I thought, this is something I did, something I understand. So I'm going to do it from the point of view of a, of a CSI, of a female CSI. Mm. And so it's, so Ali Diamond came first, definitely. And then the setting, again, because I'm from North Devon and I, I, I live here now. Um, I thought, again, at that point, this is pre-Anne Cleves and her Matthew Venn series, there had never been a crime novel, as far as I could tell, set in North Devon. So for me, it felt like there were two fairly unique elements mm. that would be my starting point, And then I could take it from there. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, because obviously, like, in in this country, crime is such a huge genre and so beloved. You know, we see it on TV all the time. We've got these amazing series, uh, book series that are just huge. So what is how was it for you to try and make this novel and this series stand out? Because I imagine that's quite a challenge. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. I mean, this is a, a huge genre um, crime and it is very difficult to stand out. I think the CSI angle, I kind of thought to myself, everybody loves forensics. You know, we had CSI Miami and that whole range, Criminal Minds, uh, Bird on the Wire that we had. But we've had lots of similar type programs on TV and people do. They are endlessly fascinated with the, CS, with the CSI stroke forensics approach to um, crime scene um, investigation. So I kind of thought the CSI might be kind of quite a nice hook for people. So that's really why I went that particular route. I think it's quite a lot of novels will be a DS or a detective sergeant or detective inspector. And I just thought maybe I could shift it to a CSI perspective. So you see more than a scene. So with a standard crime novel, they're not standard, with a crime novel, you would have a body and then you'd have an investigation. But maybe with a CSI, you know, you'd have more what you have to do in that scene and for Ali Diamond in particular what I wanted to get across is the impact of dealing with those scenes and and how it has how it affects you emotionally and how you carry that with you and that can be a minor crime or a major crime that that bit doesn't matter it's dealing with people who have been uh, victims of crime and that's really what I wanted to to show with Ali Diamond so that that was my thinking um, when I set to do this. Yeah and it has a big impact on Ali's personal life as well and obviously because this is a series we get uh, hints about her past her home life and I'm assuming that will carry on kind of in future novels mm. but we really do see the impact on her relationship with her daughter and how her daughter feels kind of being shut out because of her career mm. and I think we often when we when we're writing a novel when we're planning a novel we have to have in our head like almost like the the emotional story and then like the plot story and the that this is like uh this is what you're doing in this novel so you've got kind of her relationship with Megan her daughter and then you've got her career and there you know there are points where the two clash and um I won't give anything away but they you know they do they do impact upon each other don't they yeah absolutely and I, I wanted to do that and it's interesting you you pick up that emotional arc and and the plot arc as well and I find the plotting easier than the emotional side of things actually I, I, that, I think in terms of writing books that that's my challenge definitely mm. to get across that emotional side and when I went into the um, writing course that's that's what came out of that writing course that I could write the kind of you know the top line story but it but what was missing was that emotional um, element to go with it and and I think some of that is because you know I did do the job and I, I kind of had set aside and I did it a really long time ago um, Chloe and I'd set that aside and really for her to have kind of an authenticity 
um, to her, I had to revisit that really. And, and if you don't have that job, you know, if you're not writing about a job, and lots of writers obviously don't write about their former jobs, you know, you still have to do that research. So you do need to go into those areas that are difficult. Mm-hmm. And you have to tap into that for your own writing. And it's, it's that's my journey, I would say. That's my writing journey at the moment to be to keep working on that. Yeah. Well, I think you've done it really well because there are points in the novel where for her to be successful professionally to solve this crime, she has to basically avoid all her emotional stuff uh, with her with her home life. Um, and it's that I, it reminds me of often if you read kind of writing manual type books or books to help you plot it's always saying like how can you make this situation a hundred times worse for your character um, <laughs> you know to to do one thing they have to do the opposite in the, in their kind of like emotional journey and I, so I think you've done the kind of the balancing act really well there thank you thank you so obviously this is the start of a, a series following um your CSI Ali Diamond and you mentioned that she was the kind of the spark for you. She was the thing that drove this novel when you first started writing it. So did you always intend to to write it as a series or did that kind of, that come out of basically Ali having so much more to give? Um, I'll be honest with you, it's more of a commercial thing, actually. I think I wrote the first novel as a standalone. Um, which kind of was quite nice because for me that meant that it was it was finished and completed and it was only when I signed with an agent and we discussed it and she talked about it being a series that I thought there is actually potential for her to go on and do other criminal investigations. Mm. Um, how far she can go with that I don't know because she's not a DI so she doesn't do the overview of an investigation she's a CSI so how many scenes could she investigate and how how often can she be involved in the wider investigation is going to be an ongoing challenge. And I think really mm. her journey will, will change if I'm lucky enough to carry on writing her books. Yeah. How then does your career inform your writing? I suppose it helps in terms of research because there's certain, a certain knowledge base you already have. So how else does it, does it, do you find that, I know you said because you, you didn't have a intention to write crime, that perhaps it was a little too close to home at points. Mm. So do you find that you can dig into your past in terms of your work and find maybe crimes that you can tweak or change or are starting mm. points for inspiration for you? Or do you is that too difficult to, to kind of to use real life things that you've experienced? Um, I, th- I think every writer is different. So, I, you know, I would stress that you don't have to have done the job in order to write about the job. You know, I've written I've read many police procedures who are, that are absolutely brilliant and they are written by people who who have never been inside a police station so so I think it depends on the kind of writer that you are and I'm the kind of writer who needed that confidence to write about something that I felt this is a world that I understood um, none of the none of the actual crimes in breakneck point are crimes that I attended um, but certainly there are elements and certainly Ali Diamond's emotional reaction to those crimes is as close as it was to mine at the time. And I have mined that, that aspect. That's the bit that I went back to. Not so much, um, I, mean, I can remember every death I went to, it wasn't so much those that I wanted to kind of use. It was more how I felt attending those scenes. That's what I wanted to put into breakneck points 
now we've got to talk about your killer because I wondered whether your career has helped you kind of get into the head of your killer as well because he has some just horrendous thoughts and is incredibly unnerving and creepy and uh we spoke briefly before we started recording about how we both really enjoy kind of writing all the dark stuff so tell me what it was like to get into his head I think I think you're right when we said before I think it's just like a, a natural side of just being worryingly dark actually <laughs> and I don't know what it says about us um I don't think my my role my day job helped me at all in that sense actually I think I just like you said loved writing such a dark character and I think it's a little bit like you hear actors say that they'd rather play the villain um, Mm, than the good guy yeah and I think I wonder if that's a bit like writers as well we'd much much rather write somebody really really horrible Uh, maybe it's even easier to write somebody um, horrible than to write somebody who's kind of wonderful and virtuous and does everything right (laughs) I think rather kind of shamefully, I think I'm I'm kind of admitting to a side to myself. I absolutely <laughs> love writing him. I can't tell you how yeah. much I enjoyed writing him. <laughs> and you said to me you have to kind of uh pair back a little bit on his um how horrendous <laughs> he was. So you obviously yes. have, you've got you've got more in store for your your villainous characters in the future then. Yeah, no, I, I I loved writing him and uh, book two, um, the villain is very different and I'm kind of worried that people will be a little bit disappointed if they really embraced villain in book one, that mm. they're now going to be taken on a very different journey in book two. I think it's interesting to explore the different things that make someone commit crimes and make them that kind of villainous characters, whether, you know, whether it's deeply psychological whether they get some sort of Mm. kick out of it um so I think it's fascinating and I think that's what interests me about reading about those kinds of characters as well um and also because he is so horrendous like when you're because um you're in his head it's 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 a quite a horrible place to be but I I don't know this is this is Mm. a sick me coming out I enjoyed going back to those chapters you know because he is so different from Ali and and it's I think it's fun to have both those sides of the story because obviously we know he's behind all these deaths Ali doesn't and we're kind of waiting for that moment the light bulb moment for her to be like it's him you know and 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 you're you get frustrated as a reader on her on her behalf when there there's a point where of course like she's she's figuring stuff out and Mm. and no one believes her and and you're just you know you're screaming at the pages like come on (laughs) that's that's the most that's the most satisfying part I think of of novels like this where we where where you've got the the killer's point of view as well Yeah. yeah I also wanted to ask you about the kind of police corrupt corruption element because the novel begins with Ali discovering this um kind of horrendous corruption within a very crucial trial that she's a part of and she has to make the decision of whether she sticks to her guns and makes the correct decision morally of of telling the truth or she puts this person away and uh goes along with this um forged signature basically Mm. so Mm. I wondered what made you want to write about corruption in the police and kind of why was that your starting point um, I, I think it's just such a murky world, actually. And I think what I really 
liked about, you know, writing about police corruption is that you have different forms of corruption. You have the corruption where somebody just takes a bung, you know, to give you some information, if you like. And then you have that corruption where it is a moral dilemma. You've got somebody in front of you. You know they have committed the crime. They may have committed other crimes which would mm. not have been aired in court. So, so you feel at a disadvantage. And I think that enormous pressure to um, tamper with the evidence in order to get a conviction because you know you'll be taking a dangerous person off the streets and mm-hmm. putting them in jail. And I think that's an, an ongoing pressure that police officers feel, feel, although you know, I would like to say it is very rare, police corruption. That's why we write about it because it is very rare. But it gives us just such an enormous um, scope as a writer to play with those moral dilemmas that police officers do find themselves in day to day. So that's really where the corruption is. And for Ali Diamond at the beginning of the book, her moral compass is set and it is very clear and and there is no grey area for her. She's black and white. This this is wrong. I will blow the whistle on this. And then for her to then have that kind of moral compass tested through Mm. the book is, is really a theme that I wanted to play for, you know, play with. What is justice? What does justice look like? Is justice different to different people in different circumstances? And I think it's that element of police corruption that is really interesting to me as a writer. Mm, and it certainly makes Ali flawed as well. Like you said, we do see her her tested throughout the novel in terms of what she's prepared to do to solve the case, what lengths she's going to go to. So was it important to you to, to find a main character who wasn't this kind of perfect, moral, good, out-and-out person, that they had these flaws. Was that part of what you wanted to write about when you when you decided to write about Ali? Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of whole grey area, isn't it? And I, and I wanted to have someone who felt real, who uh, on the one hand does this job, she's very, very good at her job. And on the other hand, she has these challenges with trying to balance work against home life. And she has these moral dilemmas, if you like, that, that crop up as you go through the book. I think the challenge was to try and create somebody that, that readers could still engage with, actually. I mean, I mean, I love a novel where, you know, you've got a, a very clear-cut hero. They're just brilliant at everything. Um, I love reading those novels as much as the next person. And there are readers who like to read those novels exclusively as well, actually. So it was kind of saying to myself, no, I wanted her to feel real. And real people do have sides to them. And, and, and that's who she is. So that against also being somebody that readers would embrace mm. um, was, was a challenge, actually. I don't think you'll have any reader that won't be on her side. You know, I think there'll be readers out there going, oh, I don't really care that she kind of bent the rules a bit because, yeah. you know, she, need, she needed to. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I'd like to go back to the beginning of your writing journey now. And we've already established that you, for some reason, had no intention of writing crime <laughs> and you, you'd written YA. So obviously you, you, you write, um, you've been a journalist, but where did your love of writing fiction come from? Is that something you've always had? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely one of these people that has always, always wanted to be an author. Ever since I learned to read and then I learned to write and then I realised I could write my own stories and I had a head full of stories. Um, that is all I've ever wanted to do. I think I became a journalist and I, and I still do it from time to time. And I, I still enjoy writing uh, uh, as a journalist because one, it enabled me to write for a living. And, and it was the nearest I could get to being a fiction writer, if you like. Um, and secondly, journalism is all about stories. You know, they're obviously they're real stories, mm. but they are about stories. And so I think I, I well, and I did know from a really young age that all I ever wanted to be was a novelist. So at what point then along the line of writing your novel, the writing breakneck point, I suppose, was it when you were on the writing course that you decided, okay, I'm going to, I suppose you'd already started submitting it to agents before you'd done the course mm. then. So at mm. what point did you, you think, okay, I'm going to really aim for being a published author then? Um, I think I've kind of aimed for pretty much all my kind of writing life, if you like, actually, because I've always wanted to, uh, you know, I'm one of these people who's kind of like trail, tried and failed dozens and dozens of times. And really, um, this actually, for me, was Last Chance Saloon. I kind of had got to a point in my life, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I was thinking, Do you know, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. And I just need to kind of make peace with that. And so I wrote this crime novel with fairly low expectations, if I'm honest with you, and thought mm, it's still failing. And I knew about this course. I'd known about this course for about two or three years, but I'd never really plucked up the courage to apply for it. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I asked my husband, it was okay, you know, because these courses aren't cheap. And he said, you know, it's an investment in you, go for it. And then if it doesn't work out, you did everything you could. Mm. You, you know, you can't reproach yourself. And so it really was kind of like a, a, a final push to do it. But I have been, you know, trying to get published for decades mm. yeah what do you think then is the kind of key to your resilience because it would be very easy to just be like I'm giving up I'm not gonna carry on 
Yeah, and um, I have given up lots and lots of times. There, there are long periods of my life where I, I, I didn't write a word because I'd been knocked down and knocked back and you've got to kind of factor that kind of hurt and upset and you've got to be strong enough to go again. And if you're not strong enough to go again and know that you may well be rejected, you just kind of disappear into, you know, a, a, a quiet corner where you you don't write anymore. So I, I think really it wasn't so much resilience. It's more kind of what if I do if I don't write? Mm. You know, writing is who I am. And even if I don't get published, I will carry on writing. So I think it's more a case of not having a great deal of choice ultimately so even if I hadn't done great point even if more years had passed I probably would have written something and had another go when I felt resilient enough to go for it Mm. and I wanted to mention something that you also wrote in your acknowledgments which was that when you were working with your agent you rewrote 45,000 words which is about half a novel and I'm sure (laughs) there are people listening out there that are just filled with dread at that thought yeah. of losing all those words. <laughs> I was filled with dread. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about um, how you worked with your agent then before submission? Because obviously that was a massive rewrite and I know we won't yeah. discuss which plot point you changed, but obviously there was something major you changed mm-hmm. in the novel, which then had a, a big effect on the rest of it. So how did you work with your mm-hmm. agent then before you went on submission? Um, really closely actually and I think this is possibly a trend of the last kind of 10 years or so where you sign with an agent and then you do a lot of editing with your agent and I really enjoyed that process actually and and really when I got that kind of note saying I think it'd be better if we took this route not this route um, it was absolutely terrifying and my first thought was no I can't do it. I want to do it. I think it's a great idea, but I actually don't think I've got the ability to do this. And I remember my agent, who's Lucy Morris at Curtis Brown, saying, don't do anything for a week, let it percolate, and then sit down and see if you can work your way through this. And and she was absolutely spot on. You know, if you your initial panic is like, no, I can't. I've written the book. I can't now go back and change the book. Mm-hmm. And once you get over that mindset and go and see it as a dynamic, organic living thing as as a piece of um, written work you can then kind of take on board edits and you can then move it forward Uh, but I'm not going to lie it was really painful (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think those things always are and then once you've done it you you do feel better for it and I think absolutely probably probably deep down you knew it was the right decision as much as it was absolutely the right call yeah no it was mm. absolutely right and maybe that made it worse because I just thought you know she's absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> I do need to do this so uh, but yeah no and it was, think, it's a great education sorry I think ed, um, editors and agents have a brilliant way of of picking out the bits of our book that we know we need to change and mm. going I know you've tried to cover up this bit and hope that I won't notice but actually I have noticed and can you please change it <laughs> yeah yeah you're absolutely right they're absolutely brilliant absolutely. Yeah. and I think that that's been the loveliest thing actually and and that's what makes me feel very very lucky at this point is that you then you go into a world where you have an expert eye of an agent and then you have an expert eye of an editor and 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 they are they are completely brilliant at what they do Mm. and uh and I feel really fortunate to to have them on my side saying you know what about this what about this and oh yeah I can see you've got a problem with this you could do it this way and and that that's been a, a real joy actually so I'm interested to know a little bit more about your writing process 
because and I always say this to writers and then they say the complete opposite. But for me, if I was writing a crime novel, I would assume that I would be quite planning quite um, specifically and uh, having it all worked out before I start writing. But are you that kind of writer or is it a bit more organic, loose in the way you work? How, tell me how you write and how you plan. What if you Well, plan. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I would see myself as a complete plotter in that I like to know what's going to happen. I like to know where, where it's all going. So I tend to spend a lot of time plotting. And then if I'm really honest with you, I start writing it and it starts to unravel. And I realised, you know, and I kind of learned to accept that. So I'm kind of a, a wannabe plotter who then kind of slides into being a bit of a pantser when they realise mm. it's not working. And you got, and I think crime can be a little bit like that as well because you've got so many twists and turns and you think you've thought through through these avenues and these red herrings and then something just crops up where you think oh no I missed that and because mm. I've missed it, now I've got to unravel this particular plot point so I do plot and I get going and then I unravel <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested because you you've obviously started a series whether you have a I guess a a long-term arc for Ali do you have notes where you think okay well not in book one but by book three this is going to have happened to her have you got that sort of plan in your mind or or not I don't have a hard and fast plan for Ali Diamond at the moment I know roughly so I'm on a two book deal and uh, my agent sort of mentioned you know start thinking about three you know in in the hope that it's uh she's resigned Ali Diamond is resigned sort of thing so I and I so I have a rough idea of what's going to happen in the next two or three books I mm-hmm. would say and because you need to really because I need to be seeding things in book two that come to fruition in three or even potentially four and so if even though I don't know the outcome for her yet myself I do know that I need to be putting things in that then I can pull forward for the next book and the next book. So that's where I'm at with her at the moment. I just want to pick back up on something you said earlier about your plot unraveling and and maybe red herrings and that not working out. I was wondering whether your kind of previous career has actually made some elements of writing quite difficult because do you ever experience a point where you need to bend the rules a little bit in to, to kind of make sure your killer is evaded uh, being discovered too soon there are there things where you think oh you know technically the character wouldn't be able to do this but I need them to do it for the plot to work yeah 100 percent, 100 the biggest honestly the biggest problem for me when I did the course was that in my head I would go okay well that just could never happen because mm. this this has happened and you'd have more people on the investigation and you'd have to fill out this form and da, 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 da. And I spoke to my mentor so I my mentor was um, Lisa O'Donnell who's, who's a brilliant author and her view was like nope it's all about the story (laughs) it's all about the drama it's all about the conflict she said and she said take all these things out she says you can put them back in if you think it really does veer too too wildly away from Mm. authenticity but actually said it's all about the story and you know and if you think about line of duty which is kind of the one that everybody kind of refers to um you know it it, 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 it's kind of ridiculous in a sense but we all love it because there is enough in there for us to Mm. feel it's all and feel that we can go with the flow but if you if you really showed you know the ins and outs of police investigation you know it's incredibly mundane parts of it huge amounts of 
um, paperwork involved mm. you know, that that's no myth that is the case and so we can't show that so yeah there is a lot of rule bending and and for a time I did kind of worry and I'm sure at some point I'll get an email from a CSI going no oh, no there's no way this can happen <laughs> and then I kind of think I'm just trying to tell a story that people want to read that, yeah. that that's that's really my my first and foremost my job is 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 to entertain you really with it with a, with a ripping yarn Mm. And, and so I kind of go in with it with that thought now, rather than the thought of, right, well, they'll be writing this form an hour after they've done this. And it does, you know, and I think your background obviously helps you with that kind of thing. But I think it, it does strike nerves into a lot of writers because you, it doesn't matter how much research you do. At the end of the day, the story is the important part. And, you know, you're never going to be 100% knowledgeable on a particular on a particular topic okay. I mean I I have fear of someone who's really into um herring fishing coming at me um after my book's published and maybe criticizing something I've written but mm. you know I've I've never fished for herring in my life so I don't know whether it's yeah. completely accurate but at the end of the day you you're telling a gripping story and yes you might get a couple of readers that go well actually but you know you've written a great book and that's that's the heart of it really yeah I, I I think you're right I think it's an author fear isn't it mm. so whether it's fishing for herons or getting a detail in the crime scene right or wrong I think I think all authors worry about the probably they probably worry about it more than they need to worry about mm. it actually because because ultimately you're absolutely right it's all about getting the elements enough of the right elephant uh, elephants uh, elements uh, to tell the story in a way that you want to tell the story and then if you've got a, a blockage there because you know this wasn't happen you need to work a way around that because the story is all for me mm. the story is king so we've mentioned line of duty already can you think of any other novels series or uh, tv shows that you think if uh, readers are a fan of those they're going to love Breakneck Point mm, I think in terms of TV shows I'd, I'd kind of you know like to think it's quite like Mayor of Easttown you know when you have that 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 female protagonist who has possibly you know flawed but and some unlikable qualities about them and and as you grow to understand them and see what they're trying to do you kind of warm to them a bit more so I think in terms of the most recent series probably that probably also the Broadchurch series as well because it's set on a coastal town and you've mm. got these different people in this community um, who all know each other who know everything about each other and um and it's a very close-knit community so I think probably on the television level it's a bit like that I think in terms of literature it's probably I think it's been like it's like into you know the Cara Cara Hunter novels for me personally I'm a big fan of Susie Steiner's uh, Man and Bradshaw um again a female police officer in this case who's kind of like working in the case feeling that she's working on her own and she's got this quite big kind of emotional um story with her kind of domestic setting as well so I think probably those would be my kind of top picks I'd like to think it was like mm. and are you able to share with us some top tips some three top tips for um, any budding crime writers out there um yeah sure so the best advice I've ever ever been given uh was to let me get it the right way around, is to arrive late and leave early in a scene. And mm -hmm. I've taken that forward, it's stuck here on my notice board here to remind me. And I think if you do that, you then get the pace 
that you're looking for potentially in, in a crime novel. So for me, that, that was a great piece of advice. Um, the second one is, is, is just to be really, really open-minded. I talked about plotting. Plotting for a crime novel with the slighter hands, the red herrings is, is a complicated process. And sometimes it just, just goes horribly wrong and you've just got to knock it on the head. So that you're talking about the number of words that you have to ditch in the editing process. I think you just need to accept that your book is going to go through many, many drafts and you are going to lose many, many words, some of which you really loved and really didn't want to lose, but it's the best decision for your book. So you need to be open-minded about your story and where your story might take you. Um, and the other thing I think is um, for crime, just get the thing down get it down even if you know that you've got loose ends even if you know you've got dead ends and you know something doesn't work just get that book written and if you can get it to 30 40,000 words you know you probably have got something to play with because you can always change things mm. um I think there is a really famous quote isn't it that, that it is all in the editing and that's a really no, nothing was ever truer said about writing, I would say, than it is all in the editing. And if you if you haven't written anything, you haven't got anything to edit. Mm. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I definitely find that I prefer the editing process probably because I think I've already got something to work with. It's that blank yeah. page fear, isn't yeah. it? Starting, yeah. starting with nothing. So yeah. I was wondering now, you've already briefly mentioned book two and potentially book three I was wondering if you could share with us a little teaser about what might be happening in the next book if it doesn't give too much away uh no not at all actually so um I think it is kind of official that it's going to be called Slaughterhouse Farm so it kind of gives you some idea of where I'm going with the, with the dark theme Chloe <laughs> that's um, all good we love a dark we love a dark crime book that's fine <laughs> Um, where's Breakneck Point is set on the coast in North Devon we now move um, inland and this one is set within the farming community of North Devon and we have um, Ali Diamond who is emerging from book one and we have her trying to come to terms with the events of book one and what that now means for her going forward and then alongside that we have um, an opening scene I can tell you it opens with an old lady who is found on the top of the moors. She's in a nightdress, she's covered in blood and she's holding a knife and she's discovered by a group of tourists. And that then begins the next murder case. Excellent. I'm so excited to read the next book. I so enjoyed the first one. So I, I can't Thanks, wait to find Thank out you. about what's going to happen to um, all your characters, particularly uh, one story that wasn't fully tied up in the first book. I'm really looking forward to finding out what happens. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Tina. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Chloe. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Tina Ormonroe talking about her debut crime novel, Breakneck Point, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.